0: Join Dennis Seagrave for Den at Ten. Hello again. The other day we were discussing things that happened when 1999 became 2000, where we were around at a friend's house, and we said at the time, yes, Elaine's grandson was only a tiny young young lad in those days, he was fast asleep before the millennium came in, he'd laid out on the settee, only a toddler, and then last weekend we went to that grandson's child's first birthday, Elaine's great-grandson, and we realised then that 21 years had gone past, In a similar way, I was doing a job for somebody and they were talking about produce and where different foodstuffs came from and how you could account for it. And I said, well, we did so-and-so and so-and-so and and we did this, we did that. And they said, well, how do you know all of this? And I said, well, I was in the trade, you know. And they looked at me and I said, mind you, it was 50 years ago. And I laughed and it was a joke. And then when I reckoned it all up, it was 50 years ago. Suddenly, I start to feel old. My dad always said, as time goes more quickly, the older you get. And by God, he was right. But we have finally managed to get some time away with the caravan. We took our new pup with us, first time he'd been away in a caravan, and he settled in brilliantly. Took to it straight away, was happy enough, got his bed under the table at the front of the van, we were in our bed at the back. He was great, enjoyed the freedom of the field outside, he even managed to get out of the awning before we got his lead on a couple of times, but he came straight back, which was pleasing. Lucky really, because if he does get distracted, he he ignores your calls, but we're working on it. He's getting very good. We went out the other day and got a, a different halter for him to try and curb his pulling on the lead. And after three days, it seems to be having some success. We seem to be getting somewhere with that now. Brilliant. But it's it's been a strange year. Well, a strange 18 months, really. We've all suffered with being locked in, not being able to get out, do the things we want to do. And certainly with us now we've started to get the freedom we're a little bit mystified as what to do with it but we are going to get some time away we've booked some time in Wales we've booked some, just done it about an hour ago we booked another time away in Yorkshire places we've been to before in Wensleydale between Beedale and Laban We like the area. We love it. The Wensleydale Heritage Railway runs along two fields away from where We have the caravan, so you can see that plodding past several times a day. On the fortunate days when they've got a steam engine available, it's like something out of the railway, children. It chugs along in the valley bottom, puffing smoke and steam it's a great site and it's close enough to be able to go up to places like Horde Force Hawes and the Cracking Cheese Gromit factory up there or going across to Aysgarth and the famous Aysgarth Falls yeah it's all within easy reach Bolton Castle Middleham Castle over the few years that we've been going up there, we've we thoroughly enjoyed it. The sad thing is, I suppose, now we're at that time of our life and we've done a lot of touring of Britain and looking at different sites in Britain and being historically minded. You get programmes like University Challenge comes on the television or some of the quiz shows and they show a photo and they say which castle is this or which abbey is this or which cathedral is this and nine times out of ten we know which one it is. It was a favourite thing of Elaine's grandson if something came on the television and it was a famous historical site he'd just turn towards us with a grin and say have you been there? Yeah, more often than not we had. But it's what we enjoy, we both enjoy historical things. Talking to my daughter and her fella last night, and they were talking about places we could go to when we holiday together in Wales later on in the year. I mean, we know the area they were going to, we've been there a couple of times ourselves for fairly lengthy holidays and wandered around and... They said, oh yeah, we can do this. I said, oh yeah, I, says, I like I like St. David's. They says, oh yes, yeah, we, we've been to St. David's, we like it down there. Walking down to the lifeboat station and all of that. And I said, yeah, well we walked round the headland in the other direction. A few years ago we did it and I met one of my old next door neighbours who's not seen for about 20 years, walking in the other direction. Quite a pleasant reunion that was. But then they went on to say Fishguard fish and uh, my daughter's fella says, yeah, the Lower Town's lovely, smashing little harbour. And Elaine said, yes, we know it well, it's uh, where they filmed Under Milkwood, the D- Dylan Thomas play, uh, it was filmed on Lower, lower Town at Fishguard with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. That was when my daughter committed one of the cardinal sins and said, who's Elizabeth Taylor? I leant across, I said, if she says who's Richard Burton, I'll slap her. But we explained it and we said how I was a, not a fan of Dylan Thomas, but I appreciated his work and I knew about Under Milkwood And then we went on to say how I like literature and theatre. How I said yes, I stood on the stage at the Shakespeare Memorial Theatre before they demolished it and changed it. I've stood on the stage at Richmond Theatre, the old Georgian Theatre in Richmond in Yorkshire. We'd been to the Minnach Open Air Theatre in Cornwall and we'd stood on the stage But while we were there that day, we were sitting and there were some people busy in the area around and on the stage and then over the loudspeakers they said such and such a company is now going to do a dress rehearsal of Under Milk Wood and you are quite happy and free to stay and listen to it and watch it. Now Elaine didn't know much about Under Milkwood at that stage but uh, she sat down with me and we watched this play unfold before us and she thoroughly enjoyed it. So we ended up, when we were over in Wales, we ended up buying a DVD of the Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor version. I say that but... Peter O'Toole was in it, David Jason was in it, Ruth Maddock. A whole host of other stars were in there as well. And it was a well-filmed little piece. And Fishguard was totally recognisable. They hadn't done much to hide where it was or what it was. Now if you go down into Lower Town, there's a a plaque on a big rock at the end of the harbour saying that this was the location for the film. So yes, I'm looking forward to getting over there again and getting around. <laughs> the first time I went to Fishguard, I'd read about an invasion. I think it was French troops. It was classed as the last invasion of Britain. And it was a group of soldiers and sailors who came ashore, near Fishguard, Guard and the local wives and women in the national costume with the red coats and black hats were mistaken for soldiers advancing on them. Now some of these so called invaders were fairly high on alcohol at the time and turned and fled. And around the area of memorials to different women who were leaders of these people that turned back this invasion. I think it was somewhere in the sort of 1800s, I think. But they'd done a modern day tapestry of this event. Now, Elaine is into this sort of thing. Um, we went over to northern France some years ago now when we had to go to Bayeux and have a look at the Bayeux tapestry of the Battle of Hastings and the Norman invasion. So we went over to Fishguard on this one particular day. It rained and it rained and it rained. We ended up getting quite hungry so we went and got some chips but we couldn't find anywhere to sit and eat them and we ended up standing in a recessed shop doorway trying to eat fish and chips out of soggy paper. They weren't too bad actually, we enjoyed the meal, but not the conditions. In the end we couldn't find where this tapestry was exhibited. So as a last resort soaking wet through, we hunted round till we found the tourist information centre and went in there. Where is this tapestry on display? We've come to see it. Ah, it's not on display at the moment. We've lost the lease on the building it was in, so it's boxed up and stored away. Oh, bother. So we went back to the car and drove home in a set of steaming wet clothes. Well, back to the caravan anyway. A few years later, we went back to Fishguard and I'd read that the tapestry was now on full display in a purpose-built set of rooms. We went and we had a great time. Elaine thoroughly enjoyed it. And on the back end of that, we went to one or two of the Houses and churches and properties mentioned in the tale because that's how we are. That's what we, we do. I haven't been to Lawn, I haven't been to Dylan Thomas's boathouse. But I've read a lot about it. I've got different books of his with poems, The Book of Under Milkwood, and one or two other bits and pieces that We often listen to, although to actually listen to his voice doing the recitals can be a little bit dreary. Got a very deep, slow, thickly Welsh accented voice. And there are times when you sit there, you listen, and you think, oh liven him up a bit, man, please. But you have to recognise what a talented writer he was. but that is me, that is us I love the facts of history and the literature around them things that come into your head you know, that Tessa the D'Urbervilles has scenes in and around Stonehenge yeah, I've been there as well But to me it's interesting that you see somebody else's version of how these places are, then you go and have a look for yourself. I'd seen Westminster Abbey many times on the television with national services, weddings, royal weddings, different events that are celebrated there. And we had the chance, just before Covid, to go down there we went in and had a look round. And it's strange that it doesn't look as big when you go there as it does on the television. I've not been in St Paul's but we walked past it on the way to the Globe Theatre and that doesn't look so big and impressive. I know I'd always seen photos of Brighton Dome and I thought what a brilliant place and when I went down to a Unison conference in Brighton I made it my thing to go and have a look at the place didn't go in but I went down to see it I didn't have time in the schedule of the conference to to go and have a look round but I went and I walked round the outside and where you envisage this being in the middle of a park somewhere it isn't. There's a bit of a a strip of garden in the front of it then it's one of the main roads of Brighton goes zooming past in the front of it there is a little bit of little bit of space at the back of Brighton Pavilion but the actual Brighton Pavilion is, it's a brilliant place, it's a lovely place but it's right next to this main road going through Brighton The Brighton Dome, of course, is at the back of it. It was when I was there; it wasn't used that much. It was semi derelict inside. But to anybody in the know, that was where ABBA won the nineteen seventy-four Eurovision Song Contest. I think now it's been done up again, and it's back in use. But in those days, it uh, it was in a bit of a sorry state. But these are the things that I enjoy. The trouble is that Elaine and myself will go into these buildings and very often will be one of the last ones out. There'll be a guy walking behind us rattling his keys and locking the doors as we go from room to room. That happened at Nottingham. It happened at Cork Abbey. It happened at York Castle and Museum. It happened at Blenheim Palace. It was funny at Blenheim, we, we came out of the door and the doors closed behind us and we were walking across the courtyard to get back to the car park and our car and a Range Rover come flying in through the gates, roared across the courtyard and came to a, a halt by one of the big doors at the side of the building and this tall gentleman got out and went in through the door And as he zoomed past us in the car, I said, good grief, he came in here then like he owns the place. (laughs) Yeah. At which point, the Duke of Marlborough got out of his Range Rover and walked into his house. Well, how was I to know? But he was instantly recognisable. But these are the moments I cherish. We were down at Bodium on the Kent and East Sussex Railway Line, Heritage Line, runs out of Tentadon and down to Bodium. It was an excellent day out that day, we didn't realise it, but there was a, a hop festival at Bodium Station where they got the replicas of the huts that the hop pickers used to living over the summer when they came down from London and went hop picking for the season. Tin huts really but all decked out inside, all got the little bench beds and little cookers and such like inside. They got some examples of old rolling stock and old railway wagons. But in the midst of it all was this old looking goods van steps into it and inside was a coffin all stately laid out and this particular goods van was the one in which they brought Edith Cavell back during the First World War after she'd been shot as a spy by the Germans they brought her body back in this God's van. And later on, apparently it was used, and this is how it was decked out for preservation. It was used to convey the body of the unknown warrior to its last resting place in Westminster Abbey. Touching moments of history that suddenly are within reach. You can touch the fabric of what this thing is and was. I think I've said before we were at the Railway Museum in York and within the National Railway Museum they've got many famous locomotives Mallard that holds the record for the fastest locomotive of steam and I can honestly say I've sat on the driver's seat on the footplate of Mallard And I always thought that I was... I always remember Winston Churchill's funeral. I wasn't very old, only about 13, 14, but I remember it. Remember it well because it was such a moving spectacle. But one of the things I always remember that the train that took his coffin from London to the burial at Bladen Church was pulled by the engine that is the Sir Winston Churchill engine. Lovely green monster of an engine. And the very pattern of engine that I love. And I always thought this engine had been scrapped many years ago. It had disappeared. I'd not heard of it for years and years. Never saw it anywhere preserved or put on a, put to use on a railway. Now I'd been to York Railway Museum before and I'd seen quite a few of the exhibits and been up close to one or two famous engines. I know Flying Scotsman was there when I was there once. Coronation Scott was there. the Royal Scott was there. But this last time I went we'd rounded a corner In an unrestored state, but not derelict and falling apart, was the Sir Winston Churchill engine. (laughs) One of those things in life that I just walked over and touched it. I'd connected with a famous event that still runs strong in my memory. I know at the time, my dad said to me, this is the greatest commoner that ever lived. They are giving him a state funeral and you may never see anything quite like this again. And he was right. He was right. It was a fantastic sight. Okay, it was only on a black and white television even a bit grainy in places on how how it was shown but the pomp the ceremony and everything was stunning and I can't forget it and to just touch something that had been part of that great occasion was something special for me a lot of people listening to me will probably think what a softy what a what a Burke But it is a genuine thing that I love castles, old houses, old artefacts within the houses. Because we've learnt a lot from history. History has taught us many, many things over the years. And it's given us so many great, famous people. Well, famous and infamous, really, I suppose. Going round Hampton Court Palace and one or two other royal establishments, there was a reenactment of Henry the wedding when we were at Hampton Court. I think it was when he married Anne Boleyn. I can't remember, but it was interesting to see the reenactments, to see what was happening, to meet this this replica of this man. Now, there's somebody that was both famous and infamous in the same body. But to walk the corridors and see the things that he'd done, touch some of the things that he'd touched, is is remarkable to me. It's a connection with where we've come from. And to a degree, a connection with where we're going, I suppose, because somebody else will touch it in the future. But, as I say, that's that's me, and Elaine is of a very similar position, that to stand in places, to be in places that are renowned through history, is to connect with it. Yeah, later in the year, we've... Uh, I think I've said before, we booked to go on the Jacobite Express over that curved viaduct that was made famous by a certain wizard flying underneath it in his Ford Anglia. Now this is interesting to me because it was the first viaduct made out of concrete materials. The fact that this boy wizard had put it all on film didn't mean anything to me. Now I've been there before it was known as the Hogwarts Express or the Hogwarts Viaduct. We'd been there when it was its normal place in the Glenfinnan Viaduct. In the shadow of which is the Bonnie Prince Charlie Monument. A a tower with a Highland warrior stood atop of it because that's where Bonnie Prince Charlie landed and raised his standard. Allegedly there's there's a rock as he stood on and greeted all the different Highlanders who came down to support him in his quest to capture the throne. Now this to me is far more tangible as history and part of the history of our nations. I'll go and stand there and I'll take photos of the train going over this viaduct because of the history of the viaduct and hopefully with the steam train going over it. But I won't go and stand there and celebrate this because it was in a Harry Potter film that is of no interest to me whatsoever. But to go and see the spot where Bonnie Prince Charlie came down the lake and onto the land is a historic event. Because I'm a Derbyshire lad, I know he got as far as Derby. (laughs) Took one look at Derby and went back home, I suppose, but He got as far as Derby before he turned back. But that's, yet again, it's the historical side of it that I like. You know, the macabre Glencoe massacre, where the McDonald's lodged with the Campbells over the New Year period. And then because the Macdonalds hadn't signed the pledge to honour the new king, the Campbells, under orders, slaughtered quite a few of the clan. Notorious area of Scotland. But I've been through Glencoe, I've seen some of the little sites where some of the McDonald's allegedly escaped to and hid away in the mountainsides. Great times to be able to go and have a look at all these sort of things. Not so great, of course, for the McDonald's at the time, but for us to go and walk these areas and see more or less what they saw because it's not changed that much. Yet again, when we were in Wales. We went to a place called Porthgain, an old working harbour with, I presume, their lime kilns along the one side. And you can walk up steps at the side of these lime kilns and up onto the, the cliff tops and the headlands where there's the remains of the old mine workings. There's buildings, there's the remains of the railway lines going in two directions. All the scrap was sent to the cliff edge and tipped over the cliff edge. The stuff that they wanted was brought into the top of the lime kilns and used and then slid down chutes and into the ships and shipped away to where it had got to go to. Interesting stuff. We couldn't park there the last time we went, it was full. So we went to another little cove further down, another little village. There's a place called the Blue Pool, which is a flooded ex-slate mine, I think. But next to that are the foundations and part walls of the cottages that the workers at the mines used to be in, where the slate quarries were. These were the workers' houses, the managers' house, all still laid out, all still in a neat row. And this is my love of industrial architecture as well I love to stand there and look at these places and think what a hive of industry they used to be and how we've lost it all anyway I'm rambling on and I've just looked at the clock I've gone well over my normal 30 minutes but thanks for listening and bearing with me There are times when I just reminisce and ramble on without any real theme of what I want to do. And today's been one of those. But thanks for bearing with me. I hope there is some interest in what I'm still spouting forth each week. Any road, ta-ra for now.